I want to take you to two places in the New Testament this morning, the Matthew and Luke, and those, that's covering a lot of territory, isn't it? But it's the first couple of chapters in both those Gospels. Um, I shared with Brenda a little bit last night that uh, I don't know if I've enjoyed the research for messages that I've enjoyed last week for the virgin birth and this week what I'm going to share with you. It's just been a delightful thing for me to research and uh, prepare for this message. Um, last week was about Mary, a um, young lady from Nazareth, a virgin, pledged to Joseph, finds out that she's going to have a baby. And not just a baby, she's going to give birth to the promised Messiah of Israel. Uh, but I wanted, I wanted you to do something with me this morning. I want us to step back away from Christmas. By the way, I saw someone say, that you should not play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. I think it'll probably do us a world of good if we just do Christmas all year long. I mean, celebrate what that is about, right? Joe Keller is right. Every day is Christmas. But uh, I want you to step back away from some of you already are doing your planning, your shopping, and all of that, but that that holiday is such a special holiday for people, and it's a difficult holiday for those who've just had a recent loss. But if we could take an aerial view, just an aerial photo of that moment, Christmas, the nativity story, um, I think that we'll see a little bit better, more full picture. Um, there's no mistaking that the greatest event that has ever taken place on this planet was the day Jesus was born. It is the greatest single event. And it's kind of like heaven intersects with earth. And I'd probably prefer to say that heaven invaded earth the day Jesus was born. This was the plan of God. If you look in Galatians 4, 4, I'm just going to reference there. You don't have to turn there. But it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son at the exact time. The very moment, that day that Christ was born was not indiscriminate. It was an exact time. It was that moment where Jesus would arrive as a Savior of the world. I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 1 because that's where we're going to get some of the details here. The conception uh, of, of Mary as the virgin is way up there in terms of supernatural, right? It, it, it's... It's not even, supernatural doesn't even really qualify. It's, it's phenomenal that God comes to be one of us. What an incredible thing. And Luke begins in the very starting point of his gospel about some things I want to point out to you um, that really stands out to me, and I believe they, they should stand out to us. Luke is a doctor turned missionary, Bible writer, gospel recorder, not recording gospel music, but uh, he's a doctor. So when you read Luke, you see the physician side of him. Some as well, didn't the Lord just inspire him? Didn't the Holy Spirit inspire him to write? The thing about it is all of these people who wrote in the New Testament have, the, you see their personality, their vocabulary. God uses them through the prism of their intellect, through their education, you know, 
Peter's Greek is not nearly as good as Paul's Greek. Wonder why? He probably didn't have many Greek lessons while he was fishing. Paul, on the other hand, was a skilled scholar. So you, they, they can say, look at Peter's epistle and says, yes, this is kind of like common way of expressing. Paul is more intellectual. And in Galatians 4, 4, it was Paul that said at the fullness of time, at the exact set moment in time, God sent forth his son to be our rescuer. Luke records it this way. I'm going to start in verse 5 after he, he introduces that this is a, an account about Jesus and he's writing to Theophilus. But look in verse 5 with me. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And as we read this, just make note of the details that he gives. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And he was scared out of his wits. How about that for a paraphrase? <laughs> Zechariah saw him, was startled, and was gripped with fear. The interesting thing in, in how that expresses it talks about two different words, taras, so meaning he was paralyzed inside of him and fear came on top of him. Inside out, this man was like terrified. But listen to the details again. And this is Luke writing. He names Herod as the king of Judea. He names a priest, Zechariah, who happens to serve in Abijah's division. He names his wife, and he also gives us this little caveat that she's also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them are Levites, serious people of God, not in ritual, but the way they lived their life was blameless. But they were very old, which is not a bad thing to be. You know, you, it's good that you get there, right? My dad says, old is, is bad. It's just getting there that's not so good, you know. They're very old, and by the way, childish childless in the usual duties of his division he was uh he was kind of like the winner of the lots that were cast this is was a high high honor that he was given to go into the holy place this is not the most holy place that was visited only once a year but priests tended to those three stations in that holy place there was the menorah there was the table of showbread, and there was the altar of incense, a menorah of seven-pronged candelabra burned with oil, and it was a priest's duty to keep that steady, that those, those fires on those candles could never go out. Over at the table of showbread, it was the bread of presence. It was show the presence of God, and those freshly baked special loaves of bread was put there by priests. And then you had that altar of incense that had coals on it. They kept coals there. And it was the duty of a priest to go in, sprinkle incense to create kind of like a cloud, a mist there to show that we just could never get a full glimpse of God in his presence. 
and he's sprinkling this incense on these coals. And by the way, when you read this in Exodus and Leviticus, when, they're, when God's given Moses instructions, the, uh, the mixture of spices for that incense was special. It was illegal to duplicate it. It was only for God. It was like, this is the scent of people coming out of the presence of God. So when the priest would come out, he had this recognizable scent of being in the presence of God. And he's sprinkling this incense on the coals and to the right side of the altar, there appears an angel. You know, do you want to see an angel? I don't. Because as close as I came to what I thought one day, I, I almost passed out. And it was somebody that walked in on my prayer time without me knowing it. And I was like grabbing my heart. I says, don't ever do that again. So I can, I can kind of identify with Zechariah. He's an old man, and he sees an angel. And the angel begins to talk to him in verse 13. And I'm just going to summarize this. I'm not going to read this. I'm going to summarize what this angel is saying to you. And this is not an ordinary angel, if there's any distinction ordinary. But this is an elite angel. You're about to discover this as we read through this. But let me just summarize, starting in verse 13. Um, he says, don't be afraid. That's always helpful. Is <laughs> Sorry I scared you. Uh, but don't be afraid. It's okay. And then he says, Zechariah. What's the first thing he says? Zechariah, your, your prayer has been heard. How about that for an introduction? And I don't know if Zechariah at that moment was like, okay, what prayer? <laughs> what prayers brought him here to talk to me? And uh, I don't know if he had time to think that or maybe his thinking hadn't even come yet from his fright. But what prayer? This is subjective, but... I think it was way back when he was younger and his wife was younger, they prayed for a baby. I doubt if he was praying that prayer that week. Lord, give us a baby. We're old enough to be grandparents. Grandparents do not pray for babies to arrive in their house. I can tell you that. So he says, your prayer has been answered. And he says, Elizabeth is going to have a son. She's going to give birth to a son, your son, and you're to name him John. He will be a delight and joy and a lot of excitement is going to come out of his arrival. He says, your son will be great. And part of that greatness is that don't let him drink anything fermented. No wine, no fermented drink whatsoever. Kind of like a Nazarite vow, isn't it? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Now, that had to be a pretty good baby there. Your son's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And this is what's going to happen through this son that you will have. He will bring people back to God. He will be a reconciler of the people of Israel back to their God. He will be like Elijah. He will help restore families. And he will get people ready for the, arri the arrival of the Lord. 
That's quite a statement, isn't it? Zechariah hasn't said anything to this point. But what he says as his first response is this, if you're there, how can I be sure of this since I'm old? And I like what he says, and my wife is well along in years. You know, I think he learned at some point how to describe his wife's age. He didn't call her old. The Bible calls her old. He says, she's well along in years. <laughs> he knew better not to say it any other way. And this was all about this encounter. The angel of the Lord, as it turns out, is none other than Gabriel, an angel that usually stays in close proximity to the Lord. And it seems that God has not only sent Gabriel to Zechariah, but God gives Gabriel, this is kind of an insight into angelology, the study of angels, uh, how, the personality of angels and their, their awareness of things. God, it seems like, sent Gabriel with a lot of latitude as to handle the encounter as you see fit. Because Gabriel's response to Zechariah's question, how can I be sure of this? is, I am Gabriel. Now, I would think he immediately realizes he's in trouble. (laughs) I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to give you this good news. I'm usually right there in the presence of God. But this is such an important occasion I've been sent here to you to talk to you and to tell you this good news. And because you didn't believe it, you're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. You will be silent until all of this happens. Until that baby arrives, you will be silent because Zechariah must have shown some doubts about all of that to the point that Gabriel had the authority to say, you're not going to talk. And he didn't talk. He came out of that. They, they wondered, why is he staying so long and burning incense? How much incense is he burning in there? Because he's having this angelic encounter. And, and when he comes out, they like, uh, he can't talk. And everybody's trying to figure out what's wrong. And so he must have seen a vision. But for nine months, the man didn't say a word. I don't know whether that was more of a problem to him or to Elizabeth, but it was the consequence of him. Gabriel, Gabriel took his reaction as like, well, you're going to pay for that. You're not going to talk. And I'm talking about heaven invading earth, an angel standing in front of an old priest telling him you're finally going to get the answer to your prayer that you prayed about a child. And we're talking about Gabriel coming Now, what I'm getting at this morning, and this is what... I just don't want to rehash the nativity story for you. I I want us to look look at it a little different. This is heaven invading earth. This is an angel who's usually in the presence of God sent on assignment to announce this to Zechariah. Zechariah, the rest of the chapter, if you read on in Luke... And it's the longest, I think it's one of the longest chapters uh, in the New Testament. It's like 80 verses long. So it's, Luke covers a lot of details in those 80 verses. 
But it says that Zechariah finished his rotation, went home. Elizabeth got pregnant. And after she got pregnant, she stayed in seclusion for five months. Why she did that, we don't know. But in the sixth month, that narrative continues. Gabriel, again, is the angel of choice. The angel of the Lord. This time he doesn't go to Judea. He heads north to Nazareth in Galilee. And he arrives to tell Mary to alert Mary that she's going to have a baby. And not just a baby, she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Within a half a year's time, Gabriel makes two trips to this earth to two principal people involved in heaven invading earth, God's great plan. And the angelic activity is just starting. It hasn't even mushroomed yet into what's going to happen. Now, Luke doesn't record Joseph's problem with finding out that his wife-to-be is with child. But Matthew records that, and that's over in Matthew 1. If you want to read a little bit down that way, we're going to look at verse 20. Because Joseph's thinking about, well, this isn't working. She's with child, and we haven't had our wedding yet, but she's pledged to me, and I'm going to break this off. I'm not going to put her through a public shame. I'm going to divorce her privately, call this wedding off. When in the night... In the sleep, in his dream, an angel appears to him in verse 20 and tells him this, Don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, that the child she's with, the pregnancy that she has, is of God. It's God's work in her. And we know every Christmas play, we're going to have one here, the children. Most Christmas plays have little girls dressed up like angels. And they're there to announce to the shepherds, right, the birth of Jesus. In Luke 2, it talks about that after Jesus was born, angels appeared to shepherds in the middle of the night, and and the sky was just lit up with what is called a host of angels. Brilliant sky light up to them in the middle of the night, and they, and they announced to these shepherds, that could be, that is the, the most dramatic difference in two groups. <laughs> shepherds was not considered a very good occupation. It was smelly. It was not, not like, I want to grow up and be a shepherd. Maybe carpenter or something else, fisher, fisherman, but not a shepherd. And here's angels announcing to them, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. A Savior has arrived on your planet. Now, stop, with, stop right there and think with me. Right now, angels are just announcing, right? They're just declaring. Declaring to Zechariah, to Mary. They're letting them know that they've been chosen and they have a prominent role in God's salvation plan. Here you have angels announcing to shepherds, he's here, the Savior is here, and you're going to find him in Bethlehem, in a stable, wrapped up in clothes, in a manger, in a feeding trough for a bassinet. You won't mistake, this. there's not many babies in Bethlehem right now in a stable laying in a feeding trough. 
you'll be able to find him very easy. And they're just announcing. But on the other hand, there's the Magi that Matthew records about. They're there to bring gifts from their astrologers, probably from Iran, from everything we know. They were Persian. They've probably been on, on the journey a long time to get to Bethlehem. And there's a king that he's referenced that now takes offense that he is getting not the cooperation of these wise men. And in his plans, he's given an order to kill all the male babies in Bethlehem in the area two years old and under. And I thought about this. Think about Jesus arriving to such a dark world. Look at what happened last Sunday in Texas. What a dark, broken world we still live in. And Jesus arrived as a baby within the target of a genocidal king. And it was an angel in, in Joseph's dream one night that awakes him and tells him, you need to get out and get out now. Leave now. Pack up and get out under the cover of night because the child's life is in danger. And now it seems like angels have come now from announcing to protect him. And they tell him, go to Egypt. That's the best place for you to hide. Stay there. And the first few years of Jesus' life was in Egypt. After Herod died, his son ascended to the throne, and an angel comes back to Joseph. Look at the activity of angels. Comes back to Joseph and says, the man who wanted to kill that child is dead. It's safe to go back to Israel. And so they head back, and when they find out who is the king, they decide not to live close to Jerusalem, but up in Galilee. I'm talking about the activity of angels here. Jesus alerted Peter, and I don't know how much activity angels had in the life of Jesus. Nobody knows. We do know in his early years, they were very active. I would just happen to think that no matter what is not written, that angels were pretty much on high alert all through his ministry. Right? I would just think if they were that protective of this gift, this gift that God was giving to this earth in the form of his son, that all through those years, I would think that when he gets left in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old, that there was a few angels watching over him, running interference for him. And we kind of get an idea of the relationship that Jesus has with angels when they come to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter tries to kill a guy, slices off his ear, and Jesus tells him, that's not what this is about. We're not going to do anything like that. Heals the man with his ear, puts his ear back on, heals him, and turns and tells his disciples this. There are 12 legions of angels poised right now to intervene for me if I just give them the word. They are in position to react immediately. I just think that angels were part probably more active than what we could ever think about them being. Well, are they active today? I would think so. 
And when you go, I, I, I did some readings this week. It wasn't even connected to my message. I just decided to sit down and read the entire last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Christ that John recorded. You know, my dad, and it's probably a product of my dad, my dad says, Charles, that's the only book in the Bible in the front end that tells you you will be blessed if you read it. And on the, on the back end of it, it warns you not to add or take away from it. So you might ought to read that book. You might ought to get a little acquainted with that. And I, I think most people shy away from that book because of the symbolisms and the imagery. And I just believe if you just sit down and read it straight through, maybe God will show you. One of the things that jumped out, I was preparing for this, is that almost every chapter they talk about angels. The seven trumpets are given to seven angels. The seven bowls, the vials of judgment are given to seven angels. Angels are constantly talking to John, showing John. And we know in chapters 2 and 3 that it's to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, to the angel of the church of Pergamos, and on through all the way to the angel of the church of Laodicea. And what we don't realize when we read that is we don't, in, we don't translate angel. We just give it an angelos. It means messenger. And it means to the messenger, probably the bishop or the pastor of those churches, God, Jesus is giving a message to the leadership of the church. Says, this is what I want to tell you about your church. But most of the places, it's these celestial beings that's involved with the last days. And if they're so involved with the arrival of Jesus and so involved as we culminate to the end of the world, I just believe they're very active today. And I don't want to get spooky with you where, you know, what's going on above us and all of that. This present darkness, piercing the darkness and things like that. But I do believe we need to be careful not to dismiss the role of angels in our lives. And in how God sometimes protects us that we're not aware of. I'll share a couple of thoughts in closing if the musicians can come back up. Um, I've shared this before with you. My dad was in the Army Air Corps the entire duration of World War II, entire duration. He is stationed in different places, Sebring, Macon, Georgia, Montgomery, Pensacola, got his basic flight training out in Arkansas. He, he had these places, and then he was a flight instructor out of Pensacola and teaching men how to fly. And in the meantime, he was just a husband of two months when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. So my mom could stay with him in some places. The other places, they didn't have family quarters, so she would go back to Evansville, which allowed them to have two children during the war, Brenda and my, my brother Johnny. On August the 5th, 1945, my brother was born in Evansville, Indiana, the same day that Japan received the first atomic bomb. Now, some of you are so good at history, you think I missed it by a day, that it was August the 6th. But at the time it happened, August the 6th in Japan, it was August 5th in Evansville. I don't know. I'd just like to make that point. 
my brother was born. My dad's last flight out of Hawaii, he flew bombing missions out of Guam over mainland Japan at the end of the war. His last flight was in a B-29, what he flew out of Guam, not loaded with bombs, September 1945, war is over, it's filled with men heading back to California to be discharged from the military. I love him recounting that story to me because it's almost like he begins to relive it. (laughs) How they are going down the runway and he looks over at his co-pilot and says, we need more power. And he says, we got a runaway prop. He says, give me everything you got. It was at a point of no return. And he even yells at him, more. He says, that's all we got. And they cleared the end of the runway and banked away from the mask of ships in the harbor, barely missing those ships. What he did not know until later, his first cousin, Jack Simpson, who was not a believer, was there to watch his cousin leave for Indiana, was on his knees praying for that plane to get up. And my dad would say, you know, while it was going on, I was calm and collected. But as we evened out and the tower came back, said, uh, what do you want to do? He says, I, I, think, I think it's flying okay. I think we're going to go ahead and try to get to California. And then all of a sudden, he said, his knees just start doing this. And he's like, <laughs> like Zachariah. And I thought about that day. Was an angel there? I don't know. But 17 years later, my brother is 17 years of age, and a 1955 Ford station wagon packed with seven of us. One, not even, Becky's not even a year old. We're heading to California to see my oldest sister. And my dad decides to give a 17-year-old the opportunity to give him some relief driving. Two-lane roads all the way to California. And my brother thinks that a 55 Ford station wagon loaded to the gill with people in luggage can pass a car easily. And in the middle of trying to get by that car, an 18-wheeler appears coming toward us. And there's no way of him getting back in line There's a lot of yelling going on. (laughs) The tractor trailer coming toward us veers off the road just enough and the car next to us goes off the road just enough for us to pass between them in the middle of that two-lane road. Well, we didn't get much further than that because the car was ordered off on the next available road. And Johnny's driving on our vacation was finished. (laughs) Do we remember that? (laughs) How, How can you not remember that? But I thought, was an angel there? I would tend to believe that they were there. And I'm reminded something this morning. I wasn't planning on including this passage. 
But it seems like God does something. Brenda says, I'm a magnet for certain people, right? I just draw people to me. I'm the only one here early in the morning, this morning, and somebody is, I lock the doors because I don't want to be surprised by an angel walking in with the door unlocked. Somebody is at that door going, I thought it was Raymond just getting here early. I said, no, he's got a key. I walk to the door, and it's this lady, and I recognize her. And I thought, she needs something again. Because I remember, I, I open the door, and I step out, and she knows I recognize her. And that day, I forget what she needed. I just pulled whatever I, I had out of my pocket to help her out. And I'm, I'm braced. I'm braced for something else. And she puts a $10 bill and two wrinkled up $1 bills in my hand. And she said, you helped me sometime back. And I don't remember what you gave me. But hopefully this is close to it. And I refused to take it. I said, you need that more than I do. She said, oh, no, I have to give this. You know, the Bible says, be careful how you entertain strangers because you may be entertaining angels. Unaware. You talk about a humbling walk back into this building. And I thought, I, I was, I didn't know what to do. But she would not have it any other way. She said, I, I got to go to work. Otherwise, I would have come to church this morning and give it to you personally. I don't know if I'll see her again. I don't know if she's an angel. But I walked back into the coffee bar area, pulled out that jar, and I said, I know where this $12 is going. It's going to help some child. I'm not, I'm not sharing this with you for you to start looking for angels. I'm sharing this with you because they're already there. And they're already there to help us, to assist us in this broken world that we live in, to know that we're not alone. Not only is the Lord with us, He has commissioned angels as ministering spirits to come to us in our greatest points of need. We have no idea, I believe, how heaven invades our lives. And this is what I want to ask you. Do you want heaven to invade your life all over again? Would you stand with me?